Scripture reading this morning will be taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24. That can be found on page, in the Pew Bibles on page 1040. 1040. But, if, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, in the true righteousness and holiness. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It is encouraging to be here together on this beautiful winter morning, and I believe that the predictions would say that we're going to have a more beautiful winter day as the day goes on. I look forward to seeing that. When we think about the many ways that God blesses us, one of the great blessings that God gives us is opportunities. I don't know if you've dwelt on that lately, but dwell on that. Think about that. Where would our life be if God didn't give us the opportunities to grow? the opportunities to reach out and to touch others' lives, the opportunities to serve, and even the opportunities to experience trials. We're thankful that this morning, among many, many opportunities that you have been taking advantage of in a very generous fashion over the past few weeks, we want to ask you to participate in at least one more good work that is giving as a result of this holiday season. Operation Pavo Navideño, and I don't know if I said that right, but what it means is Operation Christmas Turkey is underway as of right now. Uh, when you look in the two maps that are in the foyer just to the left of the information center, you will see a map of El Salvador and a map of Honduras. If any of you know Elias Roque well enough, that you've sat down and you've visited with him, you know that there is a tone of voice that comes to him when he talks about something that's very special. I can't really describe it adequately, but I can simply say if you know him, you know that. A while back, he and I were riding along, and he said, Brother, let me tell you about the best holiday we ever had. And he began telling about this story of a family from the U.S. that sent his father $50 so that he could buy a holiday turkey. You see, in Honduras and El Salvador and throughout Latin America, turkeys are very expensive. And the idea of a family gathering around a turkey meal, like we think about doing at Thanksgiving, is a very special thought and sentiment, but most of them can't afford to do it. And so he said, my father was able to go out and buy a big turkey. And he talked about all of the fixings that his mother prepared and how they invited the grandparents in and extended family. And that was one of the first times they had ever had a turkey dinner. And he then described the laughter and everybody sitting around the table. 
And he summarized that story by saying, that was the best holiday ever. Later on, he said, do you think we could give that gift from Mount Juliet to other preachers? And maybe I stepped out too far, but I said, I don't see why we couldn't give that gift to every Latin America preacher that we know down there. And I said, how many do you know? He said, 45. And I said, I believe Mount Juliet could do that. You need to present that to the elders. And so he did, and the elders said, we believe Mount Juliet can do that. And so what we want to do throughout this is really two things. We have a brother that works as hard as any minister in North or South America in Elias Roquet. His work is absolutely amazing, and this means a lot to him. We want to encourage him in his work by being a part of this. But also, we want to touch the lives of at least 45 families that have given their lives to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in Latin America. In many of their settings, it's not easy. Any of us that have done mission work there, we know that firsthand. And so we want to do this as a way to make a difference. Now, we understand that for many... The idea of of giving $50 is something that's very possible and and you've already made plans right now in your mind that you're going to do that and and God bless you for that. For others, the thought is, I really can't give $50 right now. Please give what you can. We'll pool together, of course, the monies that's given and make sure that it all takes place for all of these men and for their families. Now, also we want to encourage you, we know that several of our Sunday morning Wednesday night Bible classes are already doing so much good. I know some of you are doing almost more good than what you can even pull together. If your class, though, is not doing something, why not this morning on your way to your class grab one of the pictures that are on the board of the families? Each of the families are pictured, and for some we didn't have family pictures, but we had a, a picture of the minister. If you will, grab that. Take it to your class. Talk with your class about that. Pass the hat. Collect the $50. Also, if you, your family, or a class, or a group of you families are going to get together and adopt one particular minister, be sure and pick up one of the note note cards and write a note of well wishes to them, to this particular family. And Elias is going to take and translate these into Spanish leave your note so they can see your handwriting and enclose in it the translated note and these will be mailed down. The money will be wired down one week from tomorrow. And so if you can participate in this today by Wednesday night and the latest by next Sunday and uh, that money will be wired down on Monday to each of these men's accounts and then the cards will be translated and sent down just as promptly as possible. Uh, also, as, as you think about this, it's just somewhat coincidental that, uh, and by the way, there's more in your Sunday, bull, or I mean, in your uh, mail-out bulletin, went out this week on that. But I just want, I want to take this uh, time to just show you a, a simple gesture when you think, what does encouragement mean coming from a congregation in the U.S.? To be honest with you, I don't know exactly what it means. I've never lived in their exact situation. But I know that living here 
Encouragement means a lot to me, and surely you would say the same thing. Can you imagine living a life without encouragement? We're making plans right now for the mission trip in March to El Salvador. And uh, we've had at least uh, two men that have just returned from there, Ronnie Travis and Dennis Buchanan. And when they came back, they had this envelope packed in their luggage, and there was a little girl who most of her life's memory has been made up of teams from Mount Juliet going down and doing mission work in El Salvador. And I just want to, uh, you know, kind of like when you're at camp and there's mail call, I don't want you to come up and get your mail, but I'm just going to post it up here. And tonight, I'd like for you to come up before or after services and get your mail, but I'd like for you to leave this up here so all day when we see this, It is a reminder that what we do makes a difference in the lives of others. And this is a wonderful way for us to touch a lot of lives throughout Latin America. But uh, little Amanda, she wrote a note to each of these people. She's written a pretty good lengthy little letter on the inside. And by the way, these are handmade cards. You may want to come up afterwards and look at them. They're rolled up paper that they make that's beautiful. We've seen them make these throughout the years. It's absolutely beautiful. She has one there that that she has written to Lacey. She has one that she has written here to Mark and Donna Crisp. She has one here that she has written to Bodie and Sissy. And uh, she has one that she has written to Greg Myers. She has one that she has written to Clint Haynes. She has one that she has made and written to the church at Mount Juliet. She has one that she has written to Jonathan Crisp. And she has one that she has written to uh, the Shannon family. I would love for God's glory to think that out of all the resources that God gives us as a congregation, that one of the things that we could do well, one of the things that we could do with excellence is encourage people around the world. You know, it is becoming obvious and evident by the heart of this congregation, the trips, the investments, the gifts, that this congregation has a passion for touching lives around the world. And let's make sure that we make this a great success along with everything that God is giving us the opportunity to do and give Him all the glory. Holiness. I know that was a long announcement. I took that into account when I thought about this sermon. Are you open to holiness? We've been asking the question all year long, are you open? It's kind of like playing football and and the quarterback, he sits in the pocket and, and he's looking for the one that's open. That's the one that he can deliver to. That's the one that can win for the team. And so we think about, are you open? There are some things that we ought to always be open to. And one of those things that we ought to be open to is that of holiness. And when we think about the idea of being open to holiness in the text that was capably read this morning, the last verse that was read revealed to us that the kind of people that are living a life in true righteousness and holiness are those who are created by or according to God. 
Now that's an interesting thought to think that a holy life is lived in conjunction with God or we could even say a holy life, of course, is lived in partnership with God. Now as you think about a partnership, I don't know of a better just earthly illustration of being a partner with God than that of farming. When you think about the farmer and the hard work that he does and how he goes and tills the land and how he, he rises early in the morning in the spring to put the seed in the ground and then he cultivates and, and then at the end of the year he harvests. And there's so many long hours and there's such a great investment of equipment and seed and, and, and great knowledge that, that no one would doubt that the farmer is a hard worker. But also someone would be a fool to not recognize the fact that the farmer does not work in isolation. He works in joint partnership with God. How much dirt has the farmer ever made? How many sunrises has the farmer ever produced? It is God that places the fertility in the soil. It's God that gives the sunshine and the sunsets. It's God that gives the cool evenings and the hot days. It's God that gives the spring rains and a few summer rains. It's God that places life in the seed. It's God that causes that plant to grow. It's God who gives the increase. Now, as we see that in the illustration of farming or agriculture, think about that as it relates to holiness. If your idea of holiness, well, it's a to-do list that I just go out there on my own and I accomplish it and then I kind of wave a victory flag and say, I'm holy now. We've missed the whole picture. Peter accurately makes the plea from the old covenant whenever he says that God is holy, now you be holy. In other words, holiness is about joining a life with God, about sharing in a partnership with God. As we think about this partnership, I would like for for just a quick introduction of this to spend just a few moments in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. If you'll be turning to 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to develop this in the first half of this lesson. And then in the second half, we're going to come back and see what this partnership of holiness looks like in the text that was earlier read in Ephesians 4. But let's go to 1 Corinthians 3 just to really think about and drive home this idea of partnership. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing and he's somewhat disappointed in the people of Corinth. And he says, beginning in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And for when one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? Pause there for a moment. Do you see the setting? He's setting up this to help us see what he's dealing with, and he literally is helping the people at Corinth see where they are and where they ought to be. And so the beginning here is, you know, you just haven't grown. You're still babes. You've become a Christian, but you stayed as infants. And the reason we know that, Paul says, I can tell it because when I get ready to preach the meat of the word to you, right over your head, you can't get it. I have to bring it all the way back down to milk again. And also he says, I know by your behavior, you're envious of each other. 
Someone says, oh, I know some people that are envious. They're immature. Well, I struggle with envy. I'm immature. You see, they're envious. They're strifeful. For example, if you have more than one child, and and let's say that they're three, four, five years old, you expect them to get in little spats. You expect them to to be jealous when one gets something, the other gets something. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't address it and you don't teach through it, but the idea is you expect it. Why? Because they are immature. They are babes. But you know, there's a lot of kids that are 14, 15, and 16, and they're still the same way. If their sibling gets something, they're envious. And they demand that I get equal portion and, and... They fight a lot. And there's a lot of parents that they're cool with that. Let me tell you something. You ought not be cool with that. When your 14, 15, 16-year-old is acting like a 3, 4, and 5-year-old, what the Lord is teaching us here in this passage is, you haven't grown them. They're still immature. There ought to be a time where you can say, you know what? That used to be something that would really bother you. That used to be something that you would pick a fight about. That used to be something that you'd be jealous about. I'm so thankful you're growing beyond that. Now, instead of fighting, you're making peace. Now, instead of being envious, you're rejoicing in your sibling's success. Now, question, how well do we do that as brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, that's what Paul is pointing out here to these people. He's saying, I see you as children of God, but you're still babes. You're still so immature on the way you study the word, on the conduct in your life. And then because they're following preachers instead of, instead of the Lord, because he, in that passage we just read, he closed verse 4 by talking about Some are saying, I'm a Paul and I'm a Paulus. And those are two great men, but they shouldn't have been following the men. They should have been following the Lord that these men taught about. So we see here the setting. We see this immaturity. Now, notice as we go five down for a few verses, and notice how Paul deals with this. And I want you to especially notice the word increase. Increase. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? So Paul says in 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, And with each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Think about a partnership with God. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. What's the teaching? Here are individuals that have been immature. And now he says, what you need is you need God to give the increase. Do you think about this passage solely from the standpoint of an additional soul, cut and dried, that's it? In other words, how many times have you heard this passage used on campaigns? Well, we're thankful we come to the end of this campaign, and this week the Lord has given the increase of eight new souls into His kingdom. That's, that's very 
appropriate application of this. But is that what he's talking about here? Or here, is he not talking about an increase that ought to have been taking place in these individuals' lives where he says, you're babes and you should have increased, you should have matured, but the problem is you've stopped growing. Can you imagine a farmer going out into a cornfield and and the corn, the little plants have gotten one foot tall. And the farmer, he counts them all and says, all right, I have 100,000 corn plants. I I want them to stop right there. I don't want them to grow anymore. I want want them to be one foot tall, 100,000 of them. And someone say, how are you going to stay in business farming? Well, look at all the corn plants I have. Yes, but if they stop there, you're not going to produce fruit. You're not going to have a harvest. Friends, it's wonderful when God gives the increase by someone being baptized into Christ and God cuts away the guilt of their sin and they are born again. It's wonderful when God gives that increase and no doubt that is an increase given by God. But if our mindset then is it's said and done, it's accomplished. We've not done anything good for that person and The truth is, when we bring it home by application, it's easy for us to think that everything is together in our life when the truth is, things aren't together in our life if that is our concept of increase. You see, the point is this this morning. Are you in partnership with God, growing your life at all times? Are you created according to God in true righteousness and holiness? And you say, I want to be. Okay, so if we are, what does that mean? That means we recognize that on a daily basis, God is giving the increase in our life. If you go to any plant and you see that that plant is no longer growing, you know the reality is it's dying. What does God want? God wants to give the increase. What fruit will your life produce in 2011? Now, I know you and I can't, predict the future or we can't uh, forecast and, and make the future come true. But, but just for an illustration's sake, think with me for a moment. What will you do in 2011? If the Lord gives you life and He gives you opportunities, whatever you do, will it be continual good works? Because you're continually alive, you're continually serving Him, In other words, that will be an increase that was greater than if you had stopped serving Him in 2010 or if you had stopped serving Him in 2009. And so when we go over to our text this morning of Ephesians, I'd like for you to notice just a couple of things quickly as we go right to the end of this text. First, we're going to look at Ephesians 4 and 17 and get this setting here of where this paragraph began. This was just before uh, where the text was this morning. Look at Ephesians 4 and 17 again. This is a spiral down away from God. And he says in this I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Now, that, that's a terrible spiral away from God. But let's just go right back up to verse 17 and let's ask this question. 
What is this holy increase going to look like in our life? What is this holy increase going to look like if each day of our life we're growing? One thing, and we can say, well, that's obvious, but still, let's not take it for granted. One thing we know for sure from the text, we're not going to look like a heathen. A heathen, someone that doesn't walk with God. That's literally where Paul begins here, this paragraph. He's saying, there was a way when we walked, our life and our conduct, We acted like people that didn't know God. And if we're going to start living a new life that's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, we're going to stop living like the world lives. Now, from past weeks, we know that the idea of holiness is to live a separate or a sanctified life. You see how this sets in here? We're going to stop living like the world. That's our walk. And that's our mind, the futility of our mind. Now let's skip down and let's go to Ephesians 4 and 20 and let's see more as we consider this question. What does this holy increase look like in our life? Look at Ephesians 4 and 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Every commentary, everyone that writes on this passage always brings out the fact there in verse 20 that we learn Christ. He doesn't just say learn about Christ. He doesn't just say learn the teachings of Christ. It's powerful that Paul chose to say we must learn Christ. Why? Because this holiness, this new life that is created by God, it is a relationship. It's not just learning simply a list of do's and do nots. It's not just simply having boundaries in our life. Although the truth is, you and I need someone that is all wise to tell us what to do and not do. You and I need righteous boundaries in our life. But we need to be aware of the fact that it's not a law that saved us. It's Jesus Christ who saved us. It wasn't a law who sent Jesus. It was a loving Father who sent Jesus. And so as I think about holiness, I need to understand that I'm joining in a partnership with a living God who is a holy, living God. But then notice, he also points out to us here in 22 what we're leaving behind. And again, it was that former conduct that we read about back in verse 17. And notice it was that old man which grows corrupt. The reason I wanted you to notice that is because that word corrupt goes back perfect with the analogy that we used earlier of a plant. And, and you come and you see that plant and it stopped growing. And now there's, there's black spots on the leaves. And now there's brown tips on the end of the leaves. And, and you come back a week later and you can literally say, that stalk of corn is not any higher. It has not increased at all. Something is wrong. What has happened? It is the corruptness that's taken over. Do you realize spiritually that's what happens to us? Spiritually, if we are not increasing, we are corrupting. Sin is taking over our lives and the Lord wants us to be with Him. Why? Because with Him is eternal water. With Him is life. That's huge. I know that we talk about eternal life so often that 
it might, we might kind of start to take it for granted. But for a moment, think how powerful that is. With Christ is life. Without Christ is death or corruption. Now, let's, let's complete this lesson by placing an emphasis on that last verse there. Look again at 24 there. And notice where he says, and that you put on the new man. There's someone new that's no longer corrupt. Now we've been made alive because of the grace of God. But notice this, which was created according to God. There is a creation. There's a newness to us. And this newness is to be alive, is to be constantly increasing. And if we're not increasing, Paul could address us too and say, why are you still on milk when you ought to be on meat? Why are you acting like immature babies when you ought to be acting like adults? And, and, and so we think about this growth. But notice this which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Bear with me for what may seem like a silly illustration. I want you to imagine you have a friend that you didn't know that they could put anything together. You've never seen them hold a screwdriver or, 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 or a drill or you never knew them to be mechanical at all. And one day you go in and they have a flat screen TV uh, in the living room and you comment on, oh, is that new? And they say, yes. They said, uh, I made that. Do what now? Do you mean you picked it up somewhere? No, I made it. Oh, really? I, I, I didn't, you know, I know you pretty well. I know your garage. You have a car and a shovel, a rake and a lawnmower out there. Doesn't really look like a plan. I know your bonus room. I know your house pretty well. I've been throughout your whole house. You live on a quarter acre lot. So what's my natural question going to be? Oh, you made it. Where did you make that? Huh. You got to have a place to make certain things, don't you? Imagine you're standing in a Manhattan townhouse. And you're growing up out in the country. I wish I had time to really give you the whole illustration on this. I don't, but I can just tell you, when I visited the city being a country boy, the one thing that always blew my mind was there wasn't dirt. And I always think, how do they grow anything? There's no dirt. Everything's concrete and asphalt. Imagine you're, you're, you're a Manhattan townhouse, and you look around, and everywhere is dirt and asphalt. And, and you're standing in the house and that person tells you, he says, yeah, I, I raised 100 bushel of corn last year. Oh, really? 100 bushel of corn? Where? Oh, just throughout this apartment. You know something's wrong, right? Why? Because there are certain workshops that you accomplish certain things. You're in certain environments that produce certain things. I want you to notice this one more time. Look at verse 24 one more time. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Where does this new man, where is he created according to God? Whenever we live inside the workshop of righteousness. Where did that righteousness come from? The previous verses told us it's the Lord Jesus that gave us truth. Whenever we live inside the workshop of true righteousness and true holiness, that's when we can be created. We can be created by God. So the increase will be the result of our life as long as we live. Are you open to holiness? What did we learn this morning? We learned, number one, that increase isn't just quantity, it's quality. It's not just adding one, it's that one becoming closer to God and serving and producing fruit as long as they live. 
Number two, we learn that God's workshop is righteousness and holiness. If I'm not living in righteousness and in holiness, I can't claim to be created by God. It it just doesn't work that way. And number three, I learned that pavo is Spanish for turkey. I didn't know that. But this morning, this morning, who's creating you? Please, we've come from this from several angles this morning. But just think about all of us, in a sense, we're in somebody's workshop. You know, and, and if I'm living with Satan, it's just verbal garbage to say and to talk about God working in my life. If I'm living in Satan's workshop, God's not making my life. He's not creating me. He's not working on me because I haven't given him a chance. This morning, do you need to change workshops? Do you need to change? Do you need to separate from the world? Do you this morning, do you need to become holy? Listen, there's none of us that can do it on our own. Nobody. It's simply having the humility to say, Lord, I bring myself to your hands, to your might. Will you work on me? This morning, if, if we can help you, if it's prayers for forgiveness or if it's being baptized into Christ or if it's prayers for strength or encouragement, we truly do want to be in a, a congregation that encourages people to draw closer to God. And if there's any way we can help you this morning do that, come as we stand, as we sing.